to At the Devil's Ball, a podcast where we talk about horror and genre films in a positive and constructive manner. I am Samuel Numine. With me, as always, is my co-host and founder of The Feast, Nathaniel Johnson. How are you doing today, Ben? Doing well. Doing, doing well. well. Mm-hmm. And today, we've uh, got a special guest. we got Sarah Sin uh, with us. How are you doing, Yay. Sarah? I'm doing good. Thanks, guys. I'm really nervous. Yep. <laughs> oh, come on. You've been on the show before. You know how this works it's, we, and we worked to, we worked together for like a year right. like why are you nervous about yeah. talking with me i know i'm always nervous about everything i mean i get it i am too every day you know about everything so <laughs> no but literally i'm ner- no, you're always, not wrong yeah yeah i'm especially like recording like every every time i we go to record i get nervous and you know it's Same. weird because we've been doing it for 127 years yeah sometimes yeah. it feels like yeah yeah, but anyways, so Sarah's with us uh, today to talk about uh, the Frighteners. But first, before we get into that, let's uh, see what everybody's been watching this week. Sarah, do you want to go first? Uh, what have you been up? What have you been watching this week? I actually just got done watching Jacob's Wife with the amazing Barbara Crampton. So okay. nice. Yeah. So December is my um, Barbara Crampton Appreciation Month. So mm-hmm. she was born in December. So I decided to focus on movies for her for my podcast, right. which is Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Right. And um, I just finished Jacob's Wife as the first movie. And I'm, it was, I don't know what else to say, but it was absolutely amazing. Definitely one of Barbara Crampton's, if this is even true, one of her best performances ever. Right. And what's, a, and what's that about? Just short. It's about a minister's wife who mm-hmm. gets bitten by a vampire and the changes she goes through. But of course, I find more things in, into it, which is like what the metaphors beneath are right. going on. Like, so there's a lot more going on beneath the surface of this movie. But that's basically the premise is like, she's a minister's wife. She's unhappy with her life. Mm-hmm. She gets by a vampire and, and the changes that happens with her and the changes in the relationship between her and her husband. That sounds cool. Yeah. And really tell good. us. Really yeah. And tell everybody, uh, if in case they're not familiar, uh, about uh, your podcast, Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Well, kind of like what I just said, I take a deep dive into a movie. So I pick a theme every month. Like I said, this one's Barbara Crampton Appreciation Month. I've done like farm themed horror movies. I've done different decades. Um, I just try to look in, find how it one reflects history. That can be through any kind of like ism, sexism, colonialism, racism, how it reflects on specific historical events of the decade, like AIDS crisis of the 80s, the atomic um, scare in the 50s, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then since I study psychology, I take a deeper dive and see how the movie reflects psychology and mental health through creatures, metaphors, symbolism, color symbolism, characters. And I just kind of, like I say, I like to peel back the layers and see what's underneath. That's pretty much what I do. It's a great show. (laughs) Yeah. I, I should know I was directly involved for a little while. So, um, but no, Sarah's it's, it's a, it really is a great show. You're uh, uh, and I'm so glad you're still doing it. Um, you, 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 uh, you've got a knack for it. I think you really oh, do. So. Well, thank you. I still get nervous every time I record too. I'm like, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> is right. anyone going to listen to this? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of a double-edged sword because, you know, on the one hand you're like, you know, is there anybody going to listen to this? So then you're like, Oh my God, people are going to listen to this. You, know? yeah. Yeah. you can't, you can't win. I, yeah, I, 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 keep, I keep going anyways, because I found it's very, um, it sounds dumb, but it's very therapeutic for me. Right. It's like my own form of therapy. I just got, I'm finishing up creative therapies right now. And I've been mm-hmm. talking about the podcast by saying like, it's really weird that 
just by watching not just horror movies in general therapeutic for me but the fact that like I deep dive into them and I find aspects that can even relate to my own life or characters and situations that are relatable and then actually talk about it is very therapeutic in a way for me so that's another even if two people listen to it I would probably still continue doing it because it's my way of finding a creative outlet yeah yeah same here yeah I think uh Sam and I think for Sam and I this is I probably less less for Sam more for me this is very Mm -hmm. This is almost probably the only real social interaction I get most of most of the time. Yeah, so I, I yeah, I um uh and so yeah, I mean it's absolutely a therapeutic exercise. I mean, and and I I think if anything, Sam and I have learned, uh I'm speaking for both of us again, which mm-hmm. is something I've been trying not to do. But uh uh that I well, think I'll tell we, you if you're wrong. I mean, yeah, you know. but I think we're we're I think we've we've come to a, a happy conclusion of it doesn't matter if anybody listens to it. We'll right. we'll just do it because we like talking about movies. Yeah, and um, and also what uh, what we we wanted to bring this up because uh, you were one of the first guests on this show. Um, you were actually a guest before Sam was officially the host. Uh, and so what we're doing is that we're doing our um, our kind of our thank you thank tour. you tour. Yep. Yeah. So I wanted to we wanted to say thank you uh, genuinely for uh, giving us uh, me and us your time. Uh, when you didn't have to, you know, uh, we are, we were, we were nobody, we're still nobody. Uh, right. and we very much appreciate that you, um, you took the time to come talk to us. So right. thank you for that. And made the show better with, you know, helping us out. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. I like being, I'll, I'll talk about horror movies anyway, but you guys are fun. Especially, I actually sometimes just like to watch you guys banter between yeah. you. <laughs> right. For me, sometimes that's just entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. But I love but no, talking it, horror movies with anyone, and especially you guys. Right. You guys are pretty, I don't know, you're very educated in the subject, and I don't feel dumb talking about things with you guys, So, which is kind of, I think, uh-huh. so anxious about things. I'm a very nervous person, and anxiety, right. and panic attacks, and sometimes Good. I feel like I'm going over people's heads, not in a mean way, but like just in life, I'll, someone's right. like, oh, what's your podcast about? And I get about, and I get really excited, and the look on their face is like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to my shell now, but I, don't <laughs> right. you guys. I can talk about all these things with yep. you guys and you appreciate it. So I like being on your show. Yep. Thanks. <laughs> well, we'll make that happen more often. I think yeah. we're, we're, we're moving into our, uh, like I said, we've come to sort of uh, after two years of doing it, which by the way, you just had two years Yeah. on your show. I did. Yeah. yeah. I completely forgot that last month was my two years until December rolled around and I was yeah. like, whoops. I yeah, I yeah. I, just, I I did too, and I just thought about it, and I was like, "Holy shit, her two years!" Yeah, because we started in November, so yeah, it was yeah, yeah. But um, so congratulations. Two years, we've, yeah. yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Um, Thank you. And, and then that's May is two years solo, so nice. Yeah, nice. I don't know. I have two my and my two anniversaries. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, it's uh, so we we've come to a I think a happy conclusion that we're going to we we want to we like sticking to our we've made a lot of great friends and we want yeah. to, and we're, we're really hoping to kind of keep cycling back through those people rather than, you know, always, always trying to get, you know, somebody new who we don't yeah, know. And then, and then waiting around and realize we haven't had Sarah sin on in like, you know, a year and a half. Right. You know, but That's yeah. Um, well, Sam, what well, did you know, Yeah. Um, oh. I, go ahead. Am I going first? Yeah, you can go first. Okay. I was about to ask you what, okay. As well. Uh, well, I, I watched a lot of stuff this week and I, uh, as I mentioned in our last episode, we've been do I've been doing kind of a horror break and, um, that's been wonderful. Um, as much as I love horror films, uh, sometimes I think you need to step away and, um, 
I watched uh, I watched a lot of stuff, but I was gonna I guess I'll call make mention to uh, the other night I had my flu shot earlier this week and I was just in no mood to do much of anything and I ended up throwing on um, a lineup of Willow, mm-hmm. Princess Bride, oh my god, Labyrinth, and Legend, and I don't remember the last time I had that much fun in right. watching movies in some time it was sarah mentioned the word therapeutic and it really really was um they were all movies i didn't much care for as a young man um you didn't like and, the princess bride as a, as a kid no no oh, man. Uh, and it's still my least favorite of the four i think right. princess bride it's a, i think princess bride's a great film but it's it's um there are things i couldn't shut the analysis off that never happens but right. um so i was like well princess bride still is sort of a, a weaker movie but it's actually it's really heartfelt rob reiner knows how to make a heartfelt movie right um it's what he's known for he's known for romantic comedies predominantly and he knows how to make an emotional film um but uh there's still things about that i'm like "Eh, i don't know you could have tightened that up but uh willow particularly i was like holy holy shit this is a great movie like legitimately a great movie Mm -hmm. um brownies are my favorite yeah (laughs) <laughs> and same thing with Labyrinth. I was like, oh, my God, this is a great movie. Um, I couldn't believe it um, that I was like, you know, and so I, I learned that I was like, I mentioned it online. I was like, you know, I, I blame the flu shot. I'm all emotional. And people were like, no, it's, <laughs> they're like, no, congratulations. You're not talk. You're not a toxic male anymore. And I went, right. oh, that's right. Uh, I, it me, It's me that's grown. But um, but no, I those were. um those were that was just really a, a really kind of special night i think for me that was that was just like i was like i had such fun um just watching these movies and i uh it was really really something so Very what good. about you um you know i'd like i'd mentioned before the show i was having a really rough week at work but uh yeah. so i didn't get a chance to watch a whole lot but i did uh finally dive into um uh, watching uh the netflix series uh Dahmer this week okay and uh which had taken a lot of a lot of a lot of guff from a lot of uh corners of the internet for being exploitative and stuff and i'm yeah. like um i i didn't see it um they really gave a lot of time to talking about the victim's stories and the victim's family stories and in, in the in the series mm-hmm. and it didn't feel like they were you know glorifying Jeffrey Dahmer in any sort of way. I think, I think some of the people watching the film, the kind of people who are who get you know into uh, serial killers in a parasocial relationship kind of way, mm-hmm. were probably you know still fawning over Jeffrey Dahmer in, in yeah. the series. Yeah, um, it was really well done, and um, uh, Jennifer Lynch did about half the episodes. Oh, um, okay. So there's actually like some really good filmmaking going on there, and it was really, uh, really uh, tense and uh, intense in a lot mm-hmm. of places. Um, and being somebody who who's you know lived through, I shouldn't say lived through because I wasn't a part of it, but uh, was around and and aware when the Jeffrey Dahmer stuff happened. You know, I was old enough to follow the news and what you know everything. I st- I still learned a lot from this series, um, which was weird, you know, because mm-hmm. they they talk about the angles of, you know, policing not being there for the community and uh, how, you know, specific um, failures of policing, you know, led to more victims. 
one of the and, worst one of the worst things to have, for the police to have ever have done is during right but even yeah. but even you know aside from the 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 standout case where you know they literally gave the person back gave to the jeffrey kid Dahmer. back to jeffrey don um, yeah but they they showed that you know there was this wasn't just like a one off thing this was a pattern people were calling you know the police and saying somebody looking into just jeffrey Dahmer. he's you know something's not right here and they just kind of repeatedly blow it off yeah um yeah. so yeah it was, it was it was a good series um i'd say if you're you know have an interest in true crime check it out but uh you know if you if you don't there's probably not gonna be a whole lot there for you but i i, I disagree with a lot of the a lot of the um negative uh things that they were saying about the, the series online uh when it first came out i don't i don't necessarily agree with it being an exploitive uh, well, I think film. the the exploitive argument was predominantly coming from, I guess, there were families of victims who didn't, right. who specifically didn't want the show to happen. Right, and right, and that's anyway. understandable. Yeah, um, yeah, and then they did it anyway. So that was, I think, where the most of the exploitive stuff came from. Other, the other point where you made, where you know, the people who sexualized Jeffrey Dahmer uh that's that's not on the show that's on, no, yeah that's, that's on the show's on, part that's yeah. on that's on audience yeah um mm-hmm. but um uh just like uh everybody likes to talk about how attractive um bundy what yeah. bundy was and yeah. he wasn't actually no uh you know but um but cinema has made him uh made him sexy but he was actually the the whole point of him being quote attractive was that he didn't look like a serial killer uh, right. He looked normal, uh, and so by definite by by comparison, you know that made him quote handsome. But he was not um, he wasn't a good looking guy or anything. No, no. But but the frighteners, yeah, the frighteners. So um, let's uh, go ahead and do the vital stats, and we can That's jump right. right into that. And that is my burden this week. Okay, um, uh, the film was released in 1996. Uh, went Shatner there for a second. Um, and uh, we have, uh, it is directed by Peter Jackson, uh, the last of his low budget films. Um, and this movie was low budget. It was made for $26 million. It uh, unfortunately did flop. It made $29 million worldwide. Um, despite that, it's, as we'll get to, it is actually pro- quite possibly the most important film in Peter Jackson's career. Uh, and very important to the annals of film history as well. Um, but it was written by Peter Jackson and his wife, uh, Fran Walsh, uh, frequent writing partners. They both would also write, um, you know, we writers on the Lord of the Rings trilogy, of course, which was what Peter Jackson's right. now most famous for. Um, for a major cast, we have Michael J. Fox as Frank Bannister uh, in his last starring role in a film. Uh, he would, of course, do more work, but this is his last starring appearance in a feature film. We have Trini Alvarado as Lucy Linsky, Peter Dobson as Ray Linsky, John Astin as the judge, which is, uh, yes, he is the adopted stepfather of Sean Astin, uh, right. who would go on to do Lord of the Rings. We have Jeffrey Combs, Sarah's favorite, uh, <laughs> as FBI agent Milton Dammers. Everyone's uh, favorite. Yeah. Uh, we have D. Wallace as Patricia Bradley, Jake Busey and his gigantic teeth as Johnny Bartlett. Uh, I'm not going to just make fun of Jake Busey the whole time. And Jake, if you're listening, uh, it's all in good fun. Um, yep. Actually, I think you're quite good in this movie, and we'll talk about that. We have Chi McBride as Cyrus, Jim Fife as Stuart, Troy Evans as Sheriff Perry, a uh, wonderful character actor. 
uh, Troy Evans. Uh, Sam and I have talked about him uh, when we did uh, the Shining miniseries. Yeah, and the uh, stand. And the stand. He was in the stand yeah. as well. Um, and then we have um, Juliana McCarthy is old lady Bradley. R. Lee Ermey, another uh, very famous character actor, the late R. Lee Ermey as Hiles. Elizabeth Hawthorne as Magda Reese-Jones. And a brief appearance by Angela Bloomfield as Deborah Bannister. Also, we should point out this movie was produced by Robert Zemeckis, right. uh, who you may have heard of, and uh, scored by Danny Elfman. And uh, both of them are actually pretty important to the uh, to little stories about this movie. But right. uh, Sam, where do we start? Well, um, I guess we start with uh, Sarah. What are you? Was this uh, your pick this week? Or no, no, no. I, no? I, oh, oh, or you pitched it to? Yeah. I, okay. I pitched the Frighteners to Sarah because, okay. and I guess this is a good enough place to start. Right. Um, I just quickly looked at Je- at Jeffrey Combs's filmography. IMDb. <laughs> I asked Sarah what she wanted to do. She didn't have. Right. She was like, okay. I don't really know. I went, okay, let's look at Jeffrey Combs's IMDb right. and what's available. And I said, what about the Frighteners? And she was like, sure. So right. tell us about your uh, your love of Jeffrey Combs. We'll start there. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, your favorite well, topic, you know. It is my favorite. I try to sneak him in any way I can into my own podcast mm-hmm. anytime I can, even if he's not in the movie. I mm-hmm. mean, he wasn't in the last movie, but he's linked to Barbara Crampton. So I got to mention him for a minute. Very true. Uh, I started with Reanimator. That's my favorite movie. Um, and I've said this before, and a lot of people don't seem to realize this. I wasn't a reanimator Jeffrey Combs fan for like since it came out. Mm-hmm. It was the first movie I saw in, I don't remember, it was either 2019 or probably 2019 when I first saw The Last Drive. And I was like, what is this show on Shutter? I'm going to go check it out. Oh, well, I've always wanted to see reanimator. I'll watch this. So mm-hmm. it was the first Last Drive in show I saw. And I'm watching the movie, and the whole time I'm watching it, I'm loving it, but I'm also like, I think I've seen this movie before. Why am I thinking I've never seen this movie before? And it was this weird like spark in my brain. Mm -hmm. I don't remember when and where, but I know I watched it at my house at some point, probably with my older brothers and sisters or probably my mom. And then it just started fluttering in this like, oh my God, I love this movie. And then I was like, I need to watch more Jeffrey Combs. And then I just started like watching all these movies with him. And just, I was like, this man is amazing. Like he's, so cute. I'm sorry. He's very good looking. I don't care. Yeah, he is. He is. He's yep. incredibly attractive. And then he's an amazing actor. And I love his collaboration with, you know, Stuart Gordon and Barbara Crampton. So it was just one of these weird things that just kind of happened. So I just, and yes, even in this movie with his Hitler haircut, I still love him. Yeah. So, <laughs> but that's just, yeah. what, it's this weird little thing that just kind of like teetered off and just went, and then it just brought me back to this weird memory of, remembering I did watch this movie and I did enjoy it and then I just got more involved with it but like I said reanimator you name it I probably own it my car's license plate I'm from Vermont it's green so it says reanimator and my car is white so it's like that's that's how much I love that movie and I do love Jeffrey Combs but he is a great actor like it's not that he's just he's not just a horror icon the man is like a generally good actor who started with like theater with right. Je- I think he started with theater with Stuart Gordon I forgot yeah. The name of the- yeah yeah so like I know he's um Barbara Crampton uh went to Castleton in Vermont for theater mm. for drama so he's a good actor and then he's a horror right. icon and I know I'm gonna go on a tangent really quick I sorry and I apologize 
But there no. was something I was thinking about when I met Robert England this year is that a lot of really good actors like Robert England, like they're classically trained mm-hmm. actors, chose the horror genre. A lot of people right. think that the horror genre chose them, but no, they chose the genre. Same with Barbara Crampton, same with Jeffrey Combs. Yep. They chose a genre that a lot of people like shrugged off, but they're right. they show that you can actually have acting chops and show like your range in a genre that's been for so long like shoved in the corner and that's what yeah. i really i was thinking about this year was like there's a lot of classically trained amazing actors who are horror icons tony todd another one like right. people who are incredible actors who who chose the horror genre yeah. to be a part and, of and don't well, ever stray from it i don't know i just think it's like they're not I, bad act- there's no right. bad actors really in horror to my in my opinion there's no, a lot of no. classically trained i, I think it's because there's just a lot there's just so many good roles for character actors in genre film you know um the horror and sci-fi you know especially there you know so many character actors working in the in the fields that just have these you know sometimes they're small parts or sometimes they're you know the lead parts but there's always like good character work to be done there yeah um and you don't get that with a lot of you know the mainstream you know films where you know like it's romantic comedy you know there's really two or three written parts and everybody else is just window dressing mm-hmm. you know um yeah. whereas with horror and sci-fi especially you know, you're right you know it it attracts all these great actors because i think there's just meet media roles to be had there yeah combs and and this movie is a great indicator of that um jeffrey combs does a a lot of character work yeah. with this film um and he probably didn't have to and that's what's interesting is right. that um this i do feel like the character feels like he should be in a different movie um mm-hmm. but he is uh but uh it was his idea to do the hitler haircut yep right. uh he went he went to peter jackson's i want this hitler haircut uh <laughs> he wanted the uh ear prosthetics to right. make his ears pop out more um he wanted to be absurd right um and the and, black guy contacts you yeah know? yeah he wanted to be absurd with this role and he did a lot of work to make it um and he's uh it, it's really is one of his best performances even though i don't think the character quite works combs is great in this movie he really is um right and he's uh he's just crushing it i mean it's such an absurd performance i mean to see him like uh, you know she yells at him and he like vomits <laughs> right um you know and he's he's going through these speeches um my favorite thing i noticed this time which i hadn't noticed prior is he's he's giving frank's backstory he's giving the exposition about what happened right. to frank in the past and he just gets he gets obsessed suddenly with the number 13 right uh he's just babbling and he's like 13 13 knives 13 9 6 13 and i'm like yeah i'm like what it it has nothing to do with anything but he's just going for it um right and uh it's an interesting character an interesting antagonist um because it uh he adds a a level of one of the things I, i think i dig about the frighteners is that it both sort of wants to uh delve into a little bit of cosmology but it also wants to avoid it as best it can and one of the things it does is basically has that nobody really knows how any of this works 
Uh, and that's, I think, really showcased by uh, Dammer, the character of Dammer, who thinks he knows how all of it works, uh, but in reality knows nothing. It's one of the things this film doesn't do, too, is that it shows him he, he reveals he's wearing a lead vest and it never comes up again. <laughs> no. And I'm like he like, stopped wearing it at that point. Like, you know. Yeah. I mean, you'd think it would be like, you know, you would have a spot where, I don't know, like uh, the Reaper tries to get in and can't. Right. It turns out he's right or it doesn't do anything. You'd think that scene would happen. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't. Nope. Uh, Chekhov Chekhov can get bent with this gun. (laughs) Um, We we don't care uh, if this works. But but no, Sarah, what did you think of Jeffrey Combs in this movie then? He's uh, his character was great, and um, but definitely shouldn't have passed his psyche valve to be an FBI agent. No, that was like the first thing I thought of. I'm watching this, and I'm like, and I have seen this movie, it was a long time ago, but as I'm watching again, I'm like, this man should not have passed that psyche valve. He's got like OCD, pretty sure he's a germaphobe. He has that weird thing with women yelling at him the first time, like, (laughs) vomits, and the second time he has like his hands and his fingers in his ear, he's like, Like, I'm not listening to you as she's screaming at him. But that was the first thing I thought of was I was like, how'd this man become a FBI agent? There's no way right. with his craziness. And the whole fact that like he is willing to go that far deep um undercover that mm-hmm. many times. Yeah. Like, right. That to me just shows how like you might not, I mean, it's good to go undercover. I get it. Like you gotta do some years of work, but this is like five different times he did five different years with different cults and stuff. And it's like, right. why would you want to do that so many times to yourself if you're not a little crazy yourself? Sex, yeah, sex slave yeah. for the Manson family, <laughs> right? For right. six months, um, and then uh, he does mention like what, like two years with a Satan cult, drinking blood, yeah, um, blood or something. Yeah, yeah, he's drinking goat's blood. Uh, he, yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. Yeah, uh, I like the implication though that the uh, the FBI doesn't take him seriously or care about him though. Like these are right. all they send him on bullshit cases, um. And um, Dammer is an interesting, somewhat interesting subversion, along with the sheriff's department of something Sam and I have talked about a few times on the show, which is uh, don't bring authority figures into your story if you can't handle it. Um, right. Because you once you introduce cops into a story, which is, again, I'm, I'm repeating myself. We've talked about this on the show before. If you bring cops in uh, and you make your main character a suspect, you have to deal with that. Um and it will make your uh, or it will make your audience ask questions it shouldn't be asking uh, right. where they will be like, well, wait a minute. How is this? Because if, if this movie more or less does it OK, because uh, the sheriff even says to Dammer, that you can't possibly believe Frank Bannister right. is responsible for this. And he's like, oh, I do. You know, right. FBI agent, I am, you know, uh, he has psychic powers that he can explode men's <laughs> hearts. And it's like, well, right. but there's no way that holds up in a court of law. But uh, Dammer, but also it handles that with Dammer is not interested in arresting him. Dammer is going to kill him. Right. Um, And, uh, you know, so you can deal with that. Dammer doesn't have any intention of Frank seeing the inside of a jail cell uh in fact he says at one point he's going to kill himself right that's the goal here he will be over overridden with guilt and kill himself i've seen it a thousand times and then that's when you start to think dammer is dangerous because how many other minor psychics has this guy bullied into committing suicide in a jail cell or or just killed and said he's committed suicide you know right 
uh, how many people yeah. is this guy bumped off thinking they are the root of all evil? Um, and in reality, they're just minor, you know, Frank, Frank Bannister's a minor con man. He's not actually a threat to anybody. Um, you know, he's at best, he's, he's bilking people out of $750. Right. Um, small, uh, small sums you know, of money. Yeah. Yeah. I need to make $16,000 to keep my house. So I'll go uh, target a rich lady and, right. you know, make some money, but, uh, he's certainly not interested in hurting anyone. Uh, but, uh, Dammer is. And that makes him, he's actually, uh, he's a pretty dangerous character. And I, it reminded me very much of, of um, giving a toddler a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you're really dangerous, but you have no idea what you're doing. And that's why you're dangerous. Um, that to me was, was Dammer in this picture. And um, it's a very goofy performance. It's very, uh but much like the rest of the film, I think it's kind of uneven. But I've been talking too much. Somebody else jump in. No, you're fine. Me. I was just going to say, I think if you think about it too with Dammers, it's, you know, probably all those years of going undercover and all those things he's been doing, it probably has taken a toll after a while, you would think. Oh, yeah, you do have sure. to invest a lot to be undercover because you have to be undercover if people can't suspect you. So you really have to play by the rules and, you know, have their mindset and change your behaviors and thought patterns and things like that. And yeah. that eventually will probably take a toll. So I'm kind of interested to see, has he always been like this or is all the years he's had to do these undercover, right. like hardcore undercover jobs started to chip away slowly right. to him to create I... the monster we see now. Like it, some people are born monsters, some are created. So was he right. born this way or was he a cre- was he created from being thrown into all these undercover? Well, Dahmers will do it. Dahmers will do the undercover job. Let Dahmers do it. And slowly it's chipping away at him to the point right. he is where he is now. So if that makes any sense. No, yeah, it's like he started off as uh, Fox Mulder and just got, you know, weirder and weirder and right. as time yeah. goes on. Yeah. I, I, I would have to assume he was not exactly the strongest willed individual to begin yeah. with. Um, but probably convinced people he was, right. um, you know, it's, I, I, I get the impression there is probably some sort of tragedy that, that drives it. I mean, tragedy kind of drives the frighteners in general mm-hmm. as a film, um, you know, that it's, uh, everybody kind of, unless, except for, uh, Lucy who, who shrugs off tragedy pretty easily, but, um. It's one right. of the things that made me laugh about this movie, actually, was uh, her husband dies and she, <laughs> within 12 hours. <laughs> she's, she's moved on. She's making out with Michael J. Fox. Right. But, um, but yeah, but I mean, they yeah, at least at least established she didn't particularly care for her husband. So, I mean, that right. worked, but. Yeah, the, but yeah, one of the things that I did doesn't work, you know, as well for this movie is how fast she moves on, like whether or not they had a had a healthy relationship or not like you know if they were married and they yeah. died suddenly like and she's just all of a sudden you know moving on like you know the next day to to michael j fox which you know i get I know, it michael j fox yeah what was that sir <laughs> so my ex-husband did it so i guess it does no. happen yeah i guess right? it does <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, usually, I mean, I guess, I mean, it, it, here's another gender stereotype. If it was a man, would it be seen differently? It's More like, like yeah. you yeah. know, like if it was a man who moved on, it's always, you know, understandable, but a woman doesn't. And it's like, how dare she? Right. I mean, in general, right. I'm a person who's like, how can you move on? I mean, I've been divorced for four years and I still haven't even considered going on a date because 
I'm busy raising a kid, you know, right. and that's what's important to me. But, you know, it that's another thing is like, she's a female. So how, you know, she can't move on, you know, but a right. man would probably yeah, have awesome. had a yep. mistress before then yeah. and just moved right. on with her. Not that it's right, but I'm just saying there's a lot of, you know, gender stereotypes out there and. Oh, for sure. Can yeah. be, you know, you know, how would it be seen if it was, you know, Frank moving on that fast? I, I would like to, I, w- I would like to, like to hope that we would still call it out. Uh, oh, I bet you guys would. I'm not yeah, saying yeah. you would. Yeah. I'm saying in general. Like, oh, yeah. Like the in general, of society. Yeah. yeah. But I think, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a filmmaking device, which is that, you know, it, it, you can't grief, grief slows down your, your narrative. Uh, so you can't use it, you know, um, you know, but so they, they instead have, you know, the establishment that she was like, well, look, I, I haven't really loved Ray in some time. And even in death, he kind of screwed things up for me. Um, you know, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Uh, my $16,000 investment gone. Um, you know, uh, and even, even as a, even as a dead man, Ray is still kind of a heel, Right. Um, you know, I kind of love Ray in this movie, though. Like, he's mm. just he's a, he's constantly like, okay, I can fix this. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can, it's like, no, dude, it's too late. You can't. What I love is that it's it's a great subversion of like Ghost. Right. Um, you know, oh, like sure. it's ostensibly the same plot at right. the beginning. You know, Ray is dead. His wife, he's left his wife behind. He goes and finds a medium who can. But instead of you know, romantic, uh, you know, unchained melody and pottery. <laughs> it's where's my money. Right. And oh, oh no, he blew it. And it's like, <laughs> oh, well, I, I'm going to move on now. Um, right. yeah. But I mean, like <clears throat> it's just, um, and it's what Jackson, I think does really well with this particular film is, is subversion. Um, mm. you know, I think he's taking expectations and kind of going, uh, I'm not going to play that one, uh, you know, that they and in particular, that's the only reason why they moving on kind of works for me uh, is because uh, we established Ray was not a particularly great husband or a particularly right. great guy. I mean, they even have like the goofy like, you know, I made reservations at Excalibur. <laughs> right. and she's like, oh, really? Like the yeah. evil restaurant? OK. Right um you know yeah, it's our favorite table and it's like it's clear that's like well no it's your favorite table it's your favorite restaurant right. you know it's uh, it's your wine the wine you want you know yeah yeah no it's great yeah we always yeah. have red she's like i prefer white i don't like red and they said right. i've always been having i've always been doing things to make ray happy even right. at his funeral the priest is sort of like i'm sure ray was pretty good at some point <laughs> right know? um yeah you know uh you know, it's it's such a it, it's it it's really really goofy. Um, but and Ray's Ray's arc is interesting. I mean, I think he does. By the end, by the time he's he's killed again, mm-hmm. uh, he seems to have learned something. I mean, like there right. seems to be an art where he's trying to protect Lucy, um, which is probably something he never would have done. In fact, we know he wouldn't have done right. in life because she has to ask him four times to get her off the floating bed. Right. Um, yeah, I mean it's he's such a he's such a heel. And then of course that's uh uh paralleled by Frank, who uh who also, I mean, to be fair, when we talk about you know her moving on quickly, Frank is willing to go through pretty extraordinary lengths to save her life, despite right. having met her twice. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's something to this idea of people really, like I said, I think tragedy, um, it drives, it drives this narrative more than I think it, 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 uh, more than is readily apparent because they say that, uh, you know, a lot of relationships are born out of, um, shared trauma. Right. Um, yeah. And, um, or that people who are, have shared trauma end up in romantic relationships. However, those usually, I think statistically, they don't tend to work out, uh, because they're built on something that's actually negative. Um, rather than a shared experience that's positive. Um, but they say that people, you know, who get into car accidents will sometimes, you know, fall in love, you know, mm-hmm. and um, so I think that there's something to the idea of that shared trauma of we both lost a uh, a loved one. And that's going to drive where we go um, in in regards to this challenge. Uh, that the narrative presents. Um, that was well, Patrina thought. I'm talking too yeah, much. Yeah, no, I was yep. going to say it's the, <clears throat> sorry, but it's interesting you're saying that because the first thing I started wa- when I'm watching this movie, of course, I, and I'm probably wrong, but this is me diving deep, is like this movie reminded me a little bit of the Babadook, the whole idea of grief and guilt um, driving you. So like, Frank's filled with guilt and grief. He, mm-hmm. you know, is in the car accident. Right. He's driving the car. He, he's to him. He killed his wife. So he's not only grieving the loss of his wife, but he's dealing with the guilt that it possibly was his fault. So, and what happens, you know, when you're filled with guilt and grief and you don't really deal with it, well, you're going to be haunted by that tragedy. You're going to be haunted by that trauma. Right. And in a way that's kind of what the ghosts are representing is there. He's being haunted by this, trauma he's not moving on from he's not trying to move on from it he's still kind of in this deep hole of guilt and grief like I said like the Babadook she was so filled with guilt and grief but she could not move forward and she wasn't dealing it with in the right way and then she gets haunted by this creature and I was the whole time I'm watching it I'm like it's almost the same thing I mean it's more funny in this movie and lighthearted, yeah. but mm-hmm. it's still the same to me it's still the same idea that when you're so filled with same with um one that Nathan and I did um dark was the night that man was filled with so much guilt and grief but instead of like trying to move on he was just shoving it under the rug and Frank's kind of doing the same thing he's just shoving it under the rug and not really moving forward he's not dealing with it so he's haunted by it and the ghosts are kind of if you look at the different all the ghosts have different personalities too so there are different parts of his like psyche and his mind, right. you know, haunting him because it's like you need to deal with this and you're not. Oh, that's because definitely true. Another yeah. person who's dealing with guilt and grief themselves. Now he's ready to like, oh, maybe I should actually deal with this and move forward. So no, absolutely. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, and I don't think you're digging too deep at all. I think no, that's, that's I just... think that's subtext. Yeah. Um, Frank, Frank Bannister is a very, very interesting um protagonist. Uh and a lot of what's interesting about it is that a lot of it isn't spelled out, but in the director's cut even kind of insinuates, he's not sure he didn't actually murder his wife. Right. Um, you know, he, um, you know, what, what Dammer is saying is technically true. He's like, well, the knife was never found. Um, Frank, Frank has no memory of what happened after the crash, uh, but something, you know, murdered her after the car crashed. 
basically that Frank can't be sure he didn't. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's uh, that's something that is that's not spelled out in the in the film. Uh, And it's something that uh, she ends up um, Lucy ends up bringing to the jail cell when he's uh, catatonic is saying, I found the knife. You definitely didn't kill your wife. And that's actually part of what snaps him out of it was I did. Oh, wow. That's great. Um, I, he can't be sure he didn't, you know, go carve a number in her forehead after the, after the crash. Um, he doesn't remember, but he was angry with her. They had a fight, you know, uh, by the way, I love, I love Michael J. Fox's wig (laughs) flashback, the, uh, the wall street, um, uh, Gordon Gecko, uh, flowy hair thing. Um, but, um, and he's arguing with her, like throwing a ba- like throwing a basketball through a hoop. Um, yeah. uh, by the way, uh, also another really funny line of uh, in showing who Ray is. By the way, is that um, she sees that he's uh, in, after her death, he turned the a basketball court back into a garden, and right. Ray Ray's response is perfectly good basketball court. <laughs> gone, yeah, away. Got, gone to pot. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's very funny, but. Um, but no, I mean it's uh, it's a great representation of of guilt of a of a man who uh, of of a couple that loved each other, hit the skids, something happened, she died, and now right. he's he can't apologize, he can't make things better. Um, all he can do is try to honor her memory, in uh, which also, of course, is a reveal because he's so desperate to keep the house despite the fact that it's not complete. Right. It's 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 actually it's a dangerous place to actually even be in, but he can't give up um, the garden. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's the only thing he has left of her. You know, and that's all unhealthy psychologically. It's all right. unhealthy emotionally that he can't move on. Um, but no, it, and it's of course uh, it adds to the metaphor of he sees dead people but not the right. one he wants to see. Right. You know, yeah. I do like at the end that his wife really does just like, she doesn't really say anything to him. She just says hi. And then just tells him like, be happy. Like that's yeah, all be happy. Like yeah. just simple, very quick. There was no, yeah. I'm expecting like a speech from her. And it's just like, yeah, right. I just want you to be happy. Like go back. Yeah. It's not your time. I'll be here when you come, you know, when you yeah. do show up. Like, and I kind of liked that. It was really nice to just kind of, I know, round it all out. But I do like that he didn't knock the house down at the end. Yeah, he does. You know, yeah. he does kind yep. of, you know, no one can replace his wife. But I think a lot of people feel that way mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when they lose someone. I mean, like I said, I lost my mom four years ago and my dad hasn't dated anyone, you know, yeah. that. but right. no one's going to replace her. You know, no one will ever replace his wife. That's the love of his life. But you do deserve happiness afterwards. Right. And I think that takes some people a long time to understand is that you're not replacing them you're just finding happiness again and mm-hmm. i think that's very mm-hmm. much you know when he knocks down the house he's accepting that that that's i'll always love her but i'm allowed to love again yeah right exactly so. yeah i can move on um that's okay yeah um which also does you know again kind of going back to lucy kind of you know it, it's again it's it's she's a little bit that part of why I think it's so uh, she's so quick to move on is that, you know, she was already ready to kind of move on, but yeah. mm-hmm. um, 
it's it, she's a more uh, she's way more emotionally healthy than Frank. Right. Um, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I made a joke about it, but I mean, now that I'm thinking about it more in this conversation, I'm kind of like, actually, it makes a lot of sense. She moves on quickly because she's actually uh, the only capable adult in the entire film. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and I think quite literally, other than maybe the sheriff, who's kind of a goofball. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, they are uh, she's the only emotionally healthy major character in the film. And uh, right. so she's actually capable of of doing things like making a, a decision to be like, well, uh, I mourned Ray, um, but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't me. I've mm-hmm. been in the wrong marriage for years. Um, I've been in the wrong place for years. Uh, and um, and now maybe I can find something. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a really interesting uh, uh, concept. I think that grief and tragedy drives this narrative, which is actually very lighthearted, uh, yeah. even though it does right. get pretty. This film does get pretty uh, ugly in its last act. I will mm. say, um, which is a little, it, which is a little bit um, jarring. I think, much like Dammer, I think Dammer is a little bit too, too out there for this narrative sometimes. Mm. Um, that I think that uh, it's something that Jackson I think struggles with, and I think a lot of his earlier films uh, is he can't quite figure out how to make all the pieces fit, right. and um, he tries hard. And the film is successful in that respect, but it still feels like an uneven film to me. I don't know what you guys think. Totally. Well, there's also I was, there's also a lot of like Dahmer's isn't just the only antagonist. There's a lot like there's you know right. you got Patricia, the crazy lady who's mm-hmm. in love with you know Jake Busey, who's now a ghost, right. who she's still you know like yeah. It, speaking of people who can't haven't moved on, you know yeah, yeah. right. right? But it's just, you know, there's a lot. I think maybe they should have, one of the things that maybe would have tied it together better is if you just removed either the couple or removed Dahmer's. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't, I don't want you to take away Jeffrey Combs, but it's like, there's a lot of, <clears throat> right. you know, bad guys in this movie. So yeah, it's a little yeah. bit hard to like, kind of, ah, it's just, it's a little bit too much for me yeah. in, a, in a way. Like, I still love the movie. It's a fun movie. Right. There's mm-hmm. a lot going on. I really enjoyed it, but it is a lot of bad guys and villains that you're trying to like piece together. And it is kind of hard right. to piece that many in the end yeah. to bring it to like a complete circle. Yeah. So. Hey, you want to know something that I, it didn't even occur to me while watching the movie last night that, um, mm-hmm. that Patricia and Jake Busey are the, uh, actually literally are the reversal of Frank and his wife. Right. Yeah. And I didn't, that didn't even occur to me until this conversation. So you guys, mm-hmm. uh, you guys have already, educated me on something that i didn't catch um it's the mirror like the mirror image you know the good and the bad you know but they're flipped so Mm -hmm. makes sense and then even uh then that even goes towards you know when frank uh uh drags her through the through the tunnel light Mm -hmm. of the tunnel and they get pulled down to hell and then he reunites with his wife in heaven it's Uh, the same thing I, i must be i must be incredibly stupid yeah i uh, <laughs> no. i didn't i missed that entirely yeah. that connection uh that's actually really smart um but yeah i didn't uh i didn't catch that when i was watching it this time um i think i got a little distracted with um the fil- the film's weird tone sometimes right. that uh 
Um, what I kept noticing, particularly in terms of, uh, of multiple antagonists, was Dammer felt very much like Lucy has to have something to do mm-hmm. right. while Frank's dealing with the main villain. Mm-hmm. That um, that he felt more like a necessity, uh, a narrative necessity, than a fully fledged character, and um, it, but it ties together well. I mean, like the, um, you know, him screwing up the the ashes mm-hmm. thing does tie it together pretty well, and then you right. get you do get Jeffrey Combs's great mugging when his head gets exploded. That was cool. And his, yeah. ghost, and his ghost head is still there. And, uh, right. you know, um, oh, he's he back kinda... in the back of the cop car at the very yeah. end, still like yep. very cranky and angry. He's just like, mm. yeah, yeah, like, oh, following the following the sheriff around in there. Yep. Uh, the and that's another right? that's another mirrored, you know, mirrored characters, the, you know, Dammers and, and the sheriff, you know, mm-hmm. two completely different takes on the same, you know, same kind of thing. Yeah. 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 But, um, that makes sense. Yeah, thematically, this the film is really interesting. I mean, I I um I do want to talk about uh, the cast a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in particularly Michael J. Fox, uh, who is um, this is a unique performance, I think, for Michael J. Fox. I don't think he ever really did anything quite like this. No, uh, in his career, it's certainly the only horror film he ever did. Right. Um, and um, it's it's a much more subdued performance, I think, uh, than we're used to from Michael J. Fox, who's very expressive mm-hmm. as an actor. Um, yeah. And um, what I loved about it was that he brings that energy to his role, um, that even when he's miserable, Frank is this big bundle of Michael J. Fox energy. Right. Uh, yeah. And that, which then goes to this, wonderful bit of he just it drains out of him in the jail cell mm-hmm. uh it makes that all the more powerful i think michael j fox is like i'm gonna bring all that energy to this role and then when he when frank shuts down so does michael right. and it's it's like this dead battery just like sitting in that jail cell it really works mm-hmm. um well it's like he's giving up at that point you know yeah. like you said like you see, <clears throat> even though he's very depressed and filled with grief and guilt, and you can see it throughout the whole movie, but like you said, that I do like when he kind of bumbles into Ray and Lucy's place, and he's like, "All right, guys, it's you know he's you know even though he's trying to be all serious, he's still full of all this energy. Like, all right, this is what's going on, and that's what's going on, and this is how I'm going to cleanse the house." And right. and then he just he's also very sympathetic, so it is really hard to watch him at that point where he's just he's given up. Yeah. And you can see someone who, even though was kind of floating through life on autopilot, still had a lot of energy and a lot of life, quote, life in him, mm-hmm. just kind of give up and screech yeah. to a halt. It's right. very sad to watch because it is, <clears throat> he's a sympathetic character in the yeah. end. Like you are watching and you are kind of hoping he succeeds. Even I was hoping he succeeded in his little con, his little con job. I'm like, yeah, right. you know, he's right. <laughs> for a lot of money. Come on, yeah. people. Right. Like, it's just, He's just a few hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Like, come on here and there. That's fine. You know, like, just let him do it. Mm -hmm. You know, like the ghosts need a job too. Come on. Like he's helping ghosts, you know, but it is very hard to watch him because it is, it's like a, you just see all the life, you know, here you go. More metaphors, life drain out of him. Life drain out of him. Yep. Yep. Michael J. But Michael J. Fox is, uh, is such a charismatic actor um, that uh, he's a, he's a brilliant bit of casting. 
uh, because he does he does come into the film, and even though he's actually a huge jerk right. uh, through most of the first act, we still really like him. Yeah, because he's likeable. Michael J. Fox. Yeah, right. I mean, like we you know, he's he's a wonderful bit of casting that that role um, could have easily gone to completely unsympathetic protagonist really quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And instead we, we get it. It also, it, uh, like I said, it helps that arc of Lucy moving on is that, well, it's Michael J. Fox. He's so (laughs) charismatic and he's so nice seeming, uh, even when he's kind of being a jerk, he's, he just seems like he's a nice person. And um, supposedly, I guess he is. Not gonna lie. Yeah. 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 Well, I've been, uh, I, I have a particular affinity for Michael J. Fox because I spent most of my life being compared to him. Mm-hmm. And I've never saw it except for twice. And uh, I never saw the comparison except for twice, which was in his two parter on Scrubs and this. I loved him on Scrubs. Yeah. So um, good. The only two times I've ever been like, okay, I see it. Because I got clarification. I had a friend who, uh, who got into Spin City really big. And he was like, you know, you remind me of Michael J. Fox. And I went, People have been saying that to me my whole life, and I don't see it. I don't see the resemblance. And they and he mm. was saying, well, he's like, it's not that you look like him, although you do a little bit, uh, and maybe at the time when I was, you know, 20 pounds lighter, uh, I did. But he, he was like, you know, it's not that you look like him. It's that you'd say facial expressions and your mannerisms are very similar. And I went, okay, I guess I can accept that, but I still don't see right. it until I watch The Frighteners. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, there, there I am. There um, I am. <laughs> yeah, I can see where you people can make that connection um and that's not to toot my own horn that's just my personal experience of people telling me that because i'm like i would never compare myself favorably to michael j fox um uh, if if anything i am the uh i am like you know uh the byproduct of michael j fox i don't know but i'll just take the compliment yeah yeah but i mean anyway but so I mean, it makes me it makes me like uh, this this performance in particular really does connect with me because I'm like oh shit there I am, I I I move like that I walk like that it's really weird even though he actually broke his foot making this movie so probably some of that weird walk is actually because he's injured, right. but um but yeah he's he's uh, he his movements are really really fascinating he tilts his head a lot. He acts with his head, he acts with his shoulders, he right. acts with his arms. It's very, he's such an energetic performer. He's hunched over a lot, I notice. He, mm. I, I feel weird saying this, but he walks like I do um, when I'm on, I don't, uh, again, anxiety. I have body mm. dysmorphic disorder, so I don't mm-hmm. like people really looking at me. So I walk a lot, like hunched over with my head down. Yeah. And, like as I'm walking, watching him, I'm like, he's trying to like, even though he's like walking into a room, he's trying to like hide himself. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I do that right. all the time. Like I hunch over, like I, I walk over and I like sit down somewhere in the corner or mm-hmm. like, you know, I, so I, I definitely get it that, you mm-hmm. know, he feels like he feels like, I, like I do when he's trying to, he's trying to like, even though he has to like live his life and walk and do jobs and stuff. He's still um trying to hide himself. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, hunched over and kind of like looking down. You got a visitor. Yeah. Slight, uh, slight uh child uh break here i know sorry <laughs> no it's all right <laughs> yeah she's sorry. adorable yeah i'll be out in a minute just shut the door okay sorry she had nope. a shower <laughs> oh, no she had that's to tell right. me she had to tell <laughs> you she had actually enjoy showers so i'm pretty happy right, right. now so <laughs> no that's great yeah yeah no no she's a, she's adorable no not at all she's adorable she's such oh, a... she's my mini me and i love it 
yeah, she's such a she's I I love seeing the photos of you guys like cosplaying at uh uh oh, yeah. conventions and stuff. It's yep. it's so cute. Oh we have uh, I, fun. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet the and I bet the horror people love it. Yeah. I I would have to assume those actors are like, oh my god, this is great. But well, she made an impression uh, really quickly on Robert England. So I bet she was dressed yeah. as Chucky the time she met him, and he was like, oh Chucky. And then we took our picture with him, and mm-hmm. then he was coming back from the from, uh, I forgot what they're called, but the ones where you paid all that money for the picture. Right. And he's coming back through, and he looks right at Hamer, and he's like, what? God damn it, Chucky's still here, Rod. Yeah. He's like yeah. marching away through her. Yeah. She was, I'm just like, oh my God, Robert England, Hamera. She's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, she, yeah. so they like it too. They love seeing the little right. kids in no, the totally. costumes too. We bring I them. Yeah. yeah. No, I bet. And I bet that's really <laughs> sweet. But yeah, I, I love that she's a she's she's a little horror fan. That's that's really right. cute. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes. Um, I wanted to move on a little bit to talk about um, Trini Alvarado. Um, it's weird. I uh, was really worried about about this film because I um, <clears throat> I, I wait I, as I usually do. I kind of watch the movie the night before, so I'm more prepared. I don't like to watch stuff early in the week. Um, and um, so, it, it, but uh, Frighteners left to be on the first, so I was like, "Shit, it's gone." <laughs> um, so I found another way involving um, seafaring pirates. <laughs> and um me too yeah it yep. it uh it fell off the back of a truck yep and um i uh i ended up watching the director's cut and i realized i was like well i i didn't really have to worry because i remembered everything about it even though it had been quite some right. time I was like this is exactly the same movie uh i remembered except i could have sworn last week if you would ask me who stars alongside Michael J Fox in the Andy McDowell Andy McDowell right i was like it's absolutely Andy McDowell and uh, it is not Andy McDowell. Nope. It is uh, Trini Alvarado, um, who didn't do much else uh, after this. She actually had made a splash a couple of years prior by being in Little Women. Um, but uh, she mostly uh, kind of dropped off the board. And I, I find that remarkable because she's really good in this right. movie. Um, and I, uh, but yes, I totally thought, I mean, if you had asked me last week, yep. it was Andy, Andy McDowell. I would have money on it, yeah. Yeah, Andy McDowell was in this movie, and she is not in this movie. It is Trini Alvarado. Um, but I think she's great. Uh, she's a very lovely woman, and I think... Uh, what do you guys think of Trini Alvarado in this picture? I didn't even know that was her name. I'm with you guys. I yeah. honestly thought that was Andy McDowell myself. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I, now I feel really <laughs> stupid. Yeah. I didn't even look up the specs I did it took me two days to watch the movie because I can never really watch a movie in one sitting as you can tell like (laughs) right you got a kid yeah I I thought it was her (laughs) now I feel dumb (laughs) yeah yeah no I could have it's she's totally it's totally Andy McDowell in your memory and it's not Andy McDowell but but what do you think uh Sam what do you think of her uh, her performance I mean it's very Andy McDowell (laughs) it's very Andy McDowell (laughs) Yeah, just, I no offense to, to Trini. I mean, she's yeah, she's great in this, but uh, everyone I know would probably bet money that it was Eddie McDowell. Yeah, and, uh, but it's a good performance. Um, I, I, a lot of this film would fall apart if it weren't for you know, if she didn't nail her performance, getting she's it grounding because, it. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you know, Definitely. you have to buy into you know that you know her husband just died but she doesn't really care 
for him that much. And, you know, we, you know, we've already talked about the moving on thing because, um, but I mean, if, if she hadn't sold that, you know, they were in a bad relationship without, you know, much there to show it Mm -hmm. other than him being, you know, a a coward when, Mm. when ghosts, when ghosts come, Um, (laughs) you know, you really would have the run into the problem where you're like, well, why is this person moving on so fast? Um, so I think I think she did had a lot of, do a lot of work early on to to help that. And then later, um, when she's you know up against you know Damaris or whatever, um, she's not she's not out of her depth, but she you could you could tell that she's you know trying to keep up with with Damaris and uh, having a hard time, you know dealing with him yeah yeah I I mean, how she was yeah. trying to help uh what was it patricia is that her, and now i'm forgetting patty yeah uh, that's right character. right yeah like, i really like that she was really like gung-ho about protecting to, her yeah. yeah like it she was she was she saw her as a victim and patty was very good at playing a victim psychopaths right. usually are very good yeah. at being the victim mm-hmm. in in life in general but I did like that you saw that she really wanted to help this woman, you know, right. and it, you know, she wanted to help her and save her. And then the realization of, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. She is the problem. She's, yeah. she's right. one of the bad guys, you know, her mother wasn't the problem. It was her. Right. Yeah. It was very, um, yeah. Like you said, she had to sell it. I mean, she yeah. was really good. I, th- I really yeah. liked her as a character. Like I said, I really liked how invested she is in general in people, you know, which um, but she's a psychologist or a therapist. I couldn't. I totally lost that. But I know she's medical a doctor. She's a doctor. Yeah. Well, yeah she's a doctor. medical doctor. Oh, I yeah. thought she was like a, I figured she was like a psychiatrist or something no. like that. That's why she was so invested in some of these people. Like she's invested. No, in she's helping, just a doctor. You know, she just, Frank, she just she's cares. Invested in you know helping Patricia. She's invested right. in like proving that Patty's mom is actually a bad person. So I figured right. she was a therapist or something. It's usually them. Usually yeah. one of us. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's it's a little muddy in the film. Um, but yeah, they do establish that she's um she is a medical doctor. She is uh second in command of the town physician, and mm. uh and then that's how she knows how to uh, uh feign death right. in uh, uh in Frank in that's in that sequence is because she's actually a medical doctor. Although they do um they do that awkward thing where they have the male doctor come in and help her, which is really right. one of those things weird. that I'm like, yeah, if you made this movie now, that wouldn't happen. Right. Um, but like, you know, the actual doctor comes in and says, you know, don't you worry your pretty little head about it. I'll bring Michael J. Fox <laughs> back from the dead. Right. I've been in this movie once. I've seen uh, Flatliners six dramatic. times. I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Who can't do it? Yeah. I've seen Flatliners. It's, uh, you know, you're basically a qualified doctor after seeing Flatliners. Right. So <laughs> Exactly. They don't tell you that in med school. Nope. But um, but basically, if you if you watch Flatliners, you are effectively a physician. Um, but uh, uh, by the way, you are not. Please do not. That's uh, <laughs> ball. I'd like to remind you that Nathaniel was full of shit. Uh, <laughs> asterisk. But um, yes, uh, she's a great character. I think she gives a great performance, and um, she. Uh, and I've, I've just really am shocked that we didn't see more of her, and uh, that's right. why I'm like. I think that's why everybody remembers that's Andy McDowell is she didn't go on to, 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 you know, crush it in any other movies that, uh, you know, it's kind of a, 
it's kind of a shame, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm sure she's very happy and fulfilled wherever she is, but so I don't want to, you know, cast her as a victim of the studio system or anything. I'm just kind of like, for me personally, as a fan, I'm kind of like, I would, I would be a huge, I'm a huge fan of her performance in this movie. And I would have been a huge fan of hers if she did other work. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think she's just really great. Um, but we did allude to it of D Wallace stone. Um, bringing a lot to this picture too um right. another hor- uh, horror royalty much yep, like barbara say, another horror icon yeah. She's yep. another one who's a phenomenal uh, actress like she's mm-hmm. really yeah. good she's very she good chose this genre i love it yeah mm-hmm. she is very believable at the beginning like because it had been a long time since i'd seen the movie so i couldn't quite remember if she really was like a victim right of like you know right. like here you know gary Busey. Jer- Jake Busey. Jake Busey. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> was, you know, like had like some pull on her or power over her right. and like, you know, charmed her. I couldn't quite remember if she really was like a victim or not. So right. I'm watching it again. Like, wow, she's, oh, maybe she really was. Maybe he promised her all these things. And then in the flashback, I'm like, nope, she's just as crazy as he yep. is. In yeah. fact, she probably planned the whole thing and was pulling right. the strings the whole time and just made him do most of the work. So yeah, she may actually be the, the real the real big bad of the film yeah yeah um yeah they don't make that clear but they're they're i mean speaking of uh parasocial relationships saying you know you've got the uh you know uh that very real uh idea of um in fact this movie was um uh banned in certain parts of new zealand uh because shortly after the film's completion a similar massacre occurred uh in a hospital where people did uh uh, a couple people did go and it was very uh, from what i read eerily similar was the word used so it was uh uh similarly to like buffy the vampire slayers uh getting her getting the uh earshot episode uh cut because of columbine uh which was again it was like buffy eerily that show eerily uh guessed a uh school shooter like right before it happened um but this movie apparently was uh and that's what i meant by like you know the ending of this film gets a little ugly yeah especially now uh i think where any movie that ends with you know gun gun toting maniacs in a safe space hits differently now um and it's really uh it's really unfortunate and it does i mean it's not the film's fault obviously you know no. uh but it just it's a little hard to watch i i was watching it and like you know that that moment in the flashback of uh you know the doctor being like yelling at the orderly and it turns around to jake Busey and he pulls out that shotgun right and i just was like oh shit you know um but uh once it's not doing the flashbacks uh i don't know the d wallace stone in the little that dress and the shotgun did it for me i don't know does that make me a psychopath yeah yeah it does it does yeah. yep no no maybe more of like a sociopath i don't yeah, know yeah i don't know she was it was kind of hot i don't know yeah man. i don't know well, she's it's, very pretty she's a she very is. beautiful woman and she's very good and there is something about us crazy girls that men seem to like i don't know yeah i don't know i kind of was i was kind of like i get it man i get it cheek music right. i get it you know yeah. um but uh it's a it's a very menacing performance but uh she does uh, a wonderful job with it um, and like you said, Sarah, I mean, you you do, I think that it's a testament to how good a performance is that you don't necessarily see that twist coming. 
Um, everything. Uh, and again, because of uh, Trini's performance, Trini Alvarado's performance, uh, you know, who's compassionate towards her. Uh, we think that she is going to turn out to be a victim. Mm-hmm. You know, the film definitely kind of tells you that's what's going on. And that mom is actually the villain. Right. And then well, it's even like, says at one point, she was like, the girl was only 15. She was yeah. like, she's, yeah. she's a victim herself. And the mm-hmm. movie even opens with her, um, Patricia being Patty, I keep forgetting uh, which one it is, um, yeah, she's attacked. being yeah. chased by the ghost. So you don't right. really know. Like, it's, I mean, I don't know, red herring, but still, it's like, you don't know. And then, like I said, yeah, she's even mentions like the girl was only 15. Like she was a victim herself. So it's like, Mm-hmm. you know it i i like i said it's been a long time since i've seen this movie so i couldn't quite remember yeah if it was like one of those things i forgot what it's called it's not stockholm syndrome that's the one where you're kidnapped but there is another right. one where it's like where you're like kind of like what charles manson did to a lot of his followers like yeah. that whole idea that's what i was kind of thinking of like did he did he like promise her all these things was he charming was he like pulling her into his game and then he realized no you and when I saw the flashbacks, I saw her as the puppeteer. She was the one actually mm. pulling the string. She's probably just, if not crazier than he was. But yeah, her like you said, right. Hugh Wallace's performance is like what sold it for me because I was like I couldn't remember. I was like, well, she is very sympathetic and she's yeah. scared and you know she can't leave her house and you know, and then all of a sudden she just flips. Mm. Right, and she is. I mean. It- in, in in some ways she is his victim of you know both you know jake Busey and and her mother i mean she's also you know, a bad guy but uh she's, right. she's a victim as well well yeah you could definitely make it was she born a monster or was she created right yeah you, know? well, you certainly can argue she never got treatment no. Oh, no. Yeah, no i mean like you know you even if you know even at the end of you know the trial where they're like you know they they Try her as a co-conspirator rather than you know put her in psychiatric care right. uh it was mom locked her up in the attic <laughs> i mean that, yeah that doesn't even if her mother is right if, even though her mother was right that her daughter was a was a psychopath i mean like you know locking her in the attic ain't gonna make that better right um no. you know <laughs> treatment all. makes people better uh not uh you know but mom's mom's response is i'm gonna you know I'll lock her up in the house and uh, and never let her out, mm-hmm. even though there's a Grim Reaper creature coming after her right. on a regular basis. Um, it's uh, none of that makes none of that is a, any is good planning and no. certainly not, or good parenting. Um, but but yeah, it's so, yeah, I think you are. I think you're right. Sam. She's also a victim um, in the way that, you know, uh a person who is um, a victimizer could potentially still be salvaged um, depending on your viewpoint, I guess of, I think the three of us in general would, would argue in favor of psychiatric care versus imprisonment. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, you know, you got a, you know, a violent, uh, a violent person, you know, it's like Spider-Man used to say about Frank Castle, um, you know, uh, he never. He, the reason why Spider Man didn't kill is because dead men don't change. Right. Uh, was his line. Uh, dead men can't change, um, and Spider Man had to believe in redemption for the people mm-hmm. that he for the enemies that he fought, even though all of them were complete psychopaths who were trying to kill him all the time. He was like, "No, they. I still can't kill them. Maybe right. they'll get better." Um, 
you know, it's uh, so, yeah, you can't really like lock people up in a in, lock people up in the attic and expect their uh, homicidal urges to go away. Um, but no, it's and great. The, and honestly, in the end, because, you know, a lot of people look at that and say, well, you know, she helped kill a bunch of people. She right. doesn't deserve right. redemption. Yeah. But at the same time, we have to think about it this way. If she does find redemption and does get the help, no one's going to beat her up more than she's going to beat herself up. Like she's literally going to, when people, you know, I read about and listen, because I do actually listen to like uh, true uh, crime stuff. Mm -hmm. When people Mm -hmm. like go to jail and find God and, you know, learn to like forgive, they're going to live in their own hell because they already know what they've done. They've already done it. So like no one's going to punish her more than she's going to punish herself. Right. So, you know, yeah, like at least give her a chance. She did a horrible thing. No one's saying she didn't. Right. But, you know, like in the end, she's if she did find that redemption and did find that forgiveness within herself, no one's going to beat her up more than she's going to because she already knows what she did. Yeah. Right. Now she's better and she's trying to move on, but she's going to always have that in the back of her head. So that's punishment. In, In some ways, that is punishment enough. Again, like people shouldn't be doing these things, but. Right. If we're going to look at it that way, like that's punishment enough. That's in the back of her head for the rest of her life. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Compassion, compassion for, I mean, I I don't go in for, you know, Jeebus, but one of the few things I've always believed in uh, that I actually, you know, find myself in alignment with, with most religious beliefs is the idea of, you know, forgiveness of the enemy is uh, uh, a noble thing. You know, right. and of course, being a comic book fan too, and that that kind of lines up. You know, where I'm like, superheroes uh, don't kill. You know, they they try to stimmy the damage, and then they try to you know redeem whenever right. possible. I mean, but um, but that's a, a headier topic than I think. Yeah. I get into. <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean, it does it does work here. Uh, but um. I had uh, two more topics that are both technical before we wrap mm-hmm. up. Um, and um, one is there's something Sam and I were talking about before we started recording is how important this movie ultimately it was to movie history, um, right. which is pretty extraordinary for a movie that bombed so spectacularly at right. uh, the box office this movie. Like I said, it was made for $26 million. Uh, it, uh, it made 29 worldwide. So right. it was not a complete loss, but it was, but it was up against uh, Independence Day. So, right. Uh, Peter Jackson blames it on the studio uh, releasing the film earlier than they had originally intended. Right. Uh, it was supposed to be released at the end of September. It was released at the end of July, which in 96, as Sam said, mm-hmm. Independence Day was doing extraordinary numbers right. for the entire month of July in 96. Um, so the movie didn't do well. Um, no. However, what it did do was, um, and by in, indirectly, uh, Heavenly Creatures, which he admit, Peter Jackson had made uh, just prior to this, right? Um, what caused uh, New Line Cinemas, uh, New Line Cinema rather, uh, to be like, uh, wait a minute, Peter Jackson delivered a uh, twenty-six million dollar movie that looks like it's a hundred million dollars. Uh, right. with uh, this very new kind of state-of-the-art CGI and said, well, maybe we can make Lord of the Rings. And that, uh, that so 
this movie is sort of directly responsible uh, resulting of that. Yeah. Um, and then Sam, you mentioned that they also were offering him uh, King Kong. Right. Universal uh, offered him King Kong during the filming during the filming of this. Right. Uh, because of the work, uh, what our workshop was doing out of uh, with their CGI, which is right. really extraordinary. Um, uh, like I said, uh, with with um, uh, also having the creatures is indirectly responsible because this movie was originally its background. I guess was it was probably should have started with this actually because it's background, right. but yeah, uh, it was uh, Universal. It originally purchased the script from Jackson and Walsh as a Tales from the Crypt, right. Movie. Um, Bob Zemeckis wanted it to be be yeah. that, and Bob, but Bob Zemeckis was going to direct it, and then he saw Heavenly Creatures, and was right. like, Peter Jackson can direct this movie, and he hired and it, it to just do stand it. on its own. Yeah, yeah, and it just stand on its own because of how strong Heavenly Creatures was, and then Heavenly Creatures also was Danny Elfman, right? Um, saw Heavenly Creatures and said, whatever Peter Jackson's next movie is, I'll score it. Right. And then they called him and said, do you want to score this movie, The Frighteners? And he said, yes. And they said, do you want to know what it's about? And he said, no. Uh, <laughs> right. He, sight unseen, Danny Elfman decided to just score yeah. this movie. Um, so uh, my question to you in terms of discussion, guys, is what do you think about uh, the CGI of this film and the score of this film, Danny Elfman? Well, the score is Danny Elfman. I mean, yeah, I so say, it's, I like the <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah. And it yeah. fit it fits the tone of this movie perfectly. Um, I agree. The CGI I did not age well. I'm sorry. No, but most CGI from the nine from this period didn't yeah. age well. No, um, I, not really. And I think that's important to to remember <laughs> when you're watching this movie is that, you know, no CGI from this period looked good, but this looked as good as any of it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and done for a fraction of the cost, and you know, um. I think ILM did help some with the CGI because they were getting behind. Um, but I don't know how much. Yeah. Um, so um, I think I think the CGI looks unfortunate, but <laughs> in some places, um, especially when when uh, the ghost is you know doing his uh, like the routine with the rug or or the or the painting is a little bit cartoony mm. yeah with the um, the cloak the ghosts themselves yeah. weren't too bad no the ghosts yeah. i think the looked, ghosts looked themselves great weren't yeah really that bad they were pretty good but those were those were because they were you know a, a mm. mix of practical and yeah. you know cgi enhancements mm-hmm. um the pure yeah, cgi is right yes that's for me the the way you should use cgi is yeah. as an enhancement um agreed but yeah, like I think I remember at the time, like I liked the CGI, so um, I don't think it was that it was very bad. Mm. Um, and again, like I said, you know, for the cost, it's it's astounding what they what they managed to do with yeah, groundbreaking stuff little, actually, yeah. little little money and little experience. Yeah, yeah. You know, so sorry, you sorry, so Sarah, no, I was gonna say, Sarah, you like the you like the ghosts though. You think the ghosts look good. Yeah, I said the ghosts yeah. look good. Um, yeah. I'm just one of those people that, and I'm not trying, like like Sam said, I do like a little bit of CGI. I don't like a lot of it. Um, for me, personally, it's very distracting mm-hmm. for me if right. it's not really good CGI. It's just, I don't know why I can't, it's like I can't focus. Like, it's it literally just like, 
OCD. I really don't know what it is, but that's the yeah. only thing about it is that right. it gets a little too distracting for me and I can't actually like pay attention to the movie because all I'm seeing is this terrible CGI. But like I said, the ghost, I didn't mind the ghost. I mean, you could tell they were CGI, but it wasn't like distracting right. for me. You yeah. know, it didn't take away from the story. It didn't take away from me actually wanting yeah. to continue watching the movie. And the ghosts were kind of cartoony in and of themselves. Yeah. So it, it lends itself better to 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 that. Yeah. Um, then, you know, the Grim Reaper um, is supposed to be, you know, like this, you know, scary, real, real fictional, you know, character. Um, whereas, you know, the main ghosts we've got a we've got a cowboy uh, a a nerd and a, a 70s black guy <laughs> yeah. it's, it's in an elvis it's, costume right in an elvis costume yeah um, and then we have so, a dog yeah. that disappears right that dog yeah. goes oh, that dog, the dog oh, is there what? and it, yeah it, he's on there once and then he disappears nope. it's like the lead vest check <laughs> check off go to hell right um <laughs> Yeah, I guess that originally that's a that was a, a holdover. I guess the original script involved the judge and the dog being around more, right? Uh, throughout the film, and then for whatever reason it was changed. Um, but I no, I think judge. It's just so much he's fun. a great character. In the, the director's in the director's cut, the judge is doing a lot more heavy lifting too. Actually, yeah. where he's talking to, um, you know, he has a couple speeches to Frank about. Right. Uh, you know, death is no way to live, make a living. Right, right. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh a lot of emotional don't, heart to that character. Don't tell the boys, but my ectoplasm is all dried up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's falling apart. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it, I I agree with you guys. I think the ghosts look good. I I actually don't think the Reaper looks that bad. Uh, no, I guess for the maybe most it's, part, maybe it's bum. Maybe it's just consideration for the fact that it's '96. I don't know. Right. Uh, but I think he looks all right. I mean, like I um, I do. I think, think it looks the... better than like the stuff in the Mummy. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. Mummy the, returns. Not the Mummy. The Mummy returns. Yeah. Yeah. The, oh, the Rock. Yeah. The Rock. Yeah. The Rock. The Scorpion King. Yeah. yeah. The worst CGI yeah. in history. Right. <laughs> and that was two thousand. That was like two thousand three. Right. Um, twice yeah. the budget. You know. Twice the budget. That's like ten years later. Yeah. Um. No. Uh, yeah, CGI had to had to started off strong and then it kind of right. dipped and then it started to get its shit back together. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, this, te this technology is what ostensibly leads to Gollum. Uh, right. You know, when they were like, we have this motion motion capture thing, we can make actors look like animated creatures and vice versa. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of Danny Elfman's score, I, uh, it's funny cause I was watching the movie and I, uh, the score started and I immediately did the, you know, the mystery science theater joke with Danny Elfman, Danny Elfman, Danny Elfman. This sounds like Danny Elfman. Uh, and then I saw his name and went, oh, they got it's really Danny Elfman. Um, but I think yeah. it's a really good score. I think Elfman does a really good job with it. I think yeah. this uh, is one of the more, uh, one of the stronger scores. Mm -hmm. It's very spooky. It's very fun. Um, I think he balances like, really well with like fun and creepy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like he does yeah. a really good job balancing that out. Yeah, you wouldn't want Danny Elfman scoring an actual horror film, I don't think. But I think if you no. had like a horror comedy, I think Danny Elfman's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, Even if the opening theme sounds a little bit too much like Tales from the Crypt, but uh, yeah, especially, especially knowing that originally it was going to be a Tales from the Crypt. It sounds, well, I mean, if yeah, but like once you go down that road, a lot of Danny Elfman's work sounds like Danny. Yeah, Elfman. yeah, right. You know, I mean, it all sounds like something else, right? Um, 
you know, but that's kind of true of a lot of them that have signature styles. John Williams, if you if you really right. break it down, you're like, wow, a lot of these sound the same. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of my favorite even, composers actually, even John, oh, John Williams, yeah, yeah. John Williams yeah. is phenomenal. Yeah, I had I mean, when I used to play the clarinet. I actually, my mom bought me a clarinet book of like all his like most famous work. Nice for me to play. That's awesome. Yeah, he's one of my yeah. favorites, and Jaws is the reason why I became a fan of his. Mm-hmm. No, I, I remember at a party once I was watching. We were watching something I can't remember. Uh, and I said, you know, one day John Williams is going to be dead, and who are we going to have left? And some guy at the party looked at me with a complete deadpan. I don't know, Danny Elfman. And I just <laughs> right. looked back at him, and we both had that like. I went, oh god, that's depressing. And he's right. like, right, <laughs> like yeah. it's going to be. Uh, but no, I was like, you know, it, but of course that's that's not fair to you know James Horner yeah. and. Yeah. Uh, a whole lot of other great composers who did um, who continue to do wonderful work, but um, Williams, I think he did officially retire, didn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah, last year I think Williams said I'm I'm actually done. Um, Elfman's still working, I think, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah. Um, so I guess that uh, that wraps me up on on my t- my end. Does anybody else have any any things they want to talk about from the Frighteners that we haven't covered? There was one thing I wanted to say. Um, mm-hmm. I really like the idea that they try to explain the reason why they're seeing dead people. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's just like, oh, they're they're born psychics. But in this right. movie, again, it reminded me of I saw a nightmare cinema last week. And the reason why people in, in the one short story dead can see dead people is because they've been dead for X amount of time. Mm-hmm. So right. Now they can see dead people. But at least this one, they I like that they try to explain it well. When you experience a severe trauma, you know, where you're almost at that brink to, you know, death, now you can see the ghost. So I, that was just right. it, not much else I wanted to say. I just really enjoyed that. At least there was, yeah, it's a nice take on it. Yeah. To it. That makes yeah, sense. That, right. No, it totally does. It adds to the, it adds to the overall uh, theme. I think we've, we've right. uh, managed to latch on to about um, uh, tragedy driving mm-hmm. this film uh that uh, it's ultimately what causes you to have these psychic abilities uh it, one thing i do think that's interesting about that with this film is it doesn't go it's not negative um no. there's no sixth sense uh you know white noise uh concept of you know like well, white noise the movie um mm-hmm. which I, I nobody remembers but me i'm sure um but it's not um, a curse like in this movie it's yeah. not really seen as like a curse you're not right. it's not a burden right to be able to see dead people it's more of like it becomes a part of your life yeah exactly yeah it's it's not a it's 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 interesting that the movie wants to avoid that um you know even ghost had like Whoopi goldberg being like why me you know right. i you know but frank never uh frank and later lucy never have any existential uh crises over uh knowledge of the unknown um it's actually just sort of like okay um this is this is who i am now and uh it actually becomes something that they share which is actually quite nice uh as a as a postscript uh by the way biggest poker postscript i love the line of um the share of the sheriff coming and talking to frank and frank going nice epilogue well delivered uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's uh, just very meta out of nowhere right i just but i dig that i dig little meta meta digs so uh sam anything else no i think we covered everything okay uh well sarah thank you very much for coming by again thank you so uh, much yeah, thank for having you. me again 
and Anytime. Uh, yeah <laughs> and um and again thank you for for giving us your time way back when uh, a long time ago it was uh, very nice of you to uh to to give us your time and we're we're very uh grateful for that and oh, um, thank you yeah and you as sam mentioned your involvement uh and the involvement of everybody that came on very early on helped right. very much form uh what we now do mediocre so yeah, uh, yeah uh if it wasn't for if it wasn't for me being on the show i probably would have never had my own show so right see you yeah. know but um but yeah so very thank you very much for coming by and, thank uh, you. and for talking frighteners with us and uh and we remind you uh as always keep it positive keep it constructive uh love yourself love your fellow horror fans um uh thank you very much for listening and hi hi miria yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. I'm here. No, I'm is here to help say goodbye. So, um, so we want to say uh, thank you very much for listening and um, and be kind to each other uh, out there. It's uh, the the world can be a dark place, but uh, as Hemingway would say, uh, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. And I believe in the second part. But uh, so I will say thank you very much. Good night and. Namaste. Oh,